0: We are going through the entire Bible in two years. And we have about a month left. We're almost done. So I think most everybody in here has been keeping up with the reading. So before very long, you'll have been through the whole Bible, reading it and then studying about it on Sunday morning. We are in um, this section here called the, uh, the letters or the Epistles. And these two rows are are special for what reason? They were all written by the Apostle Paul, yes. And we're doing um, Philippians, Colossians, the First Thessalonians. So we're sort of finishing up the first row and getting to the second row today. They are not in chronological order. Um, I put together this chronology of Paul's life from a book called *The Life and Epistles of Saint Paul* by uh, by Coney Baronhausen, and, um, and in red you can see where, where he, when he wrote each of the epistles. Uh, the only one we don't know for sure about is Galatians, which I mentioned that back when we studied that. Um, so today we're doing Colossians. Last week we did Ephesians. And he wrote Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians at the same time. Probably sent them by the same person carrying them. Um, and then later he wrote Philippians. It was the, Philippians was the last letter he wrote during his first Roman imprisonment. Um, just a short time after that, he was acquitted of his charges and he, and he then went to Macedonia and Asia. Um, this little section to Spain has a question mark. We don't know. They have nothing in the Bible to say that he made it to Spain. We do have some external evidence which I'll mention later um, but the part about going to Macedonia in Spain and about being arrested again all that is from the Bible we, we we know from the from the scriptures that that happened and we'll see that as we study those those epistles um, but the Spain part you just have to leave that as a question mark by the way I printed out a couple extras of I have these charts. If anyone at, wants wants one, just ask me afterwards. I'll give it to you. As I run out, I'll print some more. It's not a big deal. Um, so we'll we'll be doing we'll be doing Philippians, the last of the last letter in his first imprisonment. Colossians, which is earlier, and then we'll go all the way back to First Thessalonians, the very first letter that he wrote, most likely. Some people would would say, well, Galatians was before that. Of course, that's just a guess. Now, on the map, since we're doing Philippians, I've put Paul's second journey on here because that's when he went to Philippi. He, he wrote the letter after the book of Acts had actually closed. Um, but he, he started the church at Philippi. It was the very first church in Europe. Um, you remember the vision of the man of Macedonia and he, when he, when he was in Troas, he came over to Philippi, started that church. Uh, uh, Lydia and uh, some some ladies were meeting by the river, and he cast a demon out of a out of a slave girl and got in big trouble for that. Uh, well, that was that's the church he's writing to now. He's in Rome in prison. Uh, Luke Luke said the the book of Acts ends with. He was in prison for two years. And it's likely that he wrote Philippians after the book of Acts was actually ended. Uh, because in the, in the book of Philippians, he expects to be set free at any moment. And had that been the case, I'm sure Luke would have put it into, into the book of Acts. Luke just leaves Acts with he's been in prison for two years. What has happened during that time though, the Philippians learned that Paul was in Rome and they sent money to him in Rome. And the, the letter is a thank you letter for the money they sent to him. Uh, and of course, he's, he is just very close to them. I mean, he's, he's been through Philippi a number of times. Uh, he, you know, he started on his, his second journey um, he visited it twice on his third journey, uh, and, and in the book he expects to visit them again. Uh, so this is a, an outline of the the letter, and we're just going to follow this outline this morning. So I'll start with uh, greetings, Thanksgiving, and prayer. The first eleven verses. Uh, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in influ- Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. I believe that's the only letter that Paul starts out by mentioning the overseers and the deacons. Now, there's a, there were other churches that had overseers and deacons, certainly, but I think this is the only one where he specifically mentions them in the greeting like this. Um, and then down in verse 9, he has a prayer. He says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Paul's prayers for people are very interesting. Um, they, They always have to do with in one way or another getting the people closer to God. He wants their love to abound in real knowledge and discernment. Last week when we did the book of Ephesians, he was praying for the Ephesians that they would come to know the love of Christ. Um, So the same idea with, um, with the Philippians here. So now, starting in verse 12, he talks about his own circumstances. He says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel. Um, Paul was never a glass is half empty kind of guy. <laughs> Here he's been in prison for years. But you know it's working out for, for the better, he says. And, and he's going to explain it. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. So even though he was limited and he couldn't go places, if he was going to preach, they had to come to him, he could see the good that was being done because the way he was handling his imprisonment was encouraging all the Christians in Rome and they were all becoming more zealous instead of being, um, you know, kind of hunkering down, you know, we've got to be careful here. They said, wow, if the Apostle Paul in prison could do all this, I can do something. And, and, and Paul was just delighted with this. So he, in verse 19, he says, for I know that um, this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he's hoping to be delivered out of, out of, his, out of prison. Um, and in verse 21, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So to him, it's really okay if, if he doesn't get out of prison because that will mean he'll get executed and that's fine, he can, it'll be gained. But jump down to verse 24, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He sees that he still has work that he can do. And so he's not in a hurry to leave. So he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So he sees that there's work left to be done, so he's confident the Lord is going to give him the time to do that work. Now, starting in verse 27 of this first chapter, he talks to them about um, living a life worthy of the Gospel. Uh, I'll jump down to verse 29. He says, "...for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake." Now, I don't know that we very often consider suffering a privilege, but that's the way he talks about it there, that it's an honor to be granted to suffer for, for Christ's sake. Paul had done more than anyone else of that. So he he had the um, authority to talk about that, I would say. <laughs> uh, then, in chapter 2, he, he says, follow the servant attitude of Christ Jesus. A very famous passage. I'm sure you've read it a number of times. In verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well... <clears throat> What he's talking about the humility of Jesus. How did Jesus show his humility? All right. What are, where did he start from? He was in heaven. He was in heaven. Yeah, that's what he did. Verse six. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here he was, God in heaven, but he didn't hang on to that. He was willing to empty himself. I mean, that's the, the level of humility that he showed. And so Paul wants us to follow that example. Um, so in verse 12, so then, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now it's interesting the motivation he gives to this. I mean, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a very serious thing, is what he's saying. For. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What an interesting motivation. I mean, it's too many people, I think, they would, they, they would give a very different motivation why we should work out our salvation with would say that They would say things like, well, you want to make sure you're going to go to heaven, so you need to do that. Paul's motivation is, God's the one working in you. So it makes it a very serious thing. If God is working in me to make me the kind of person I ought to be, I need to cooperate with fear and trembling. That's a very serious thing. It's not something to take take casually. Um, We've talked before about how our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We have God in us. This is the same idea. All right, that goes through verse 18. All right, so then in in verse 19, uh, he starts this section talking about his associates in the Gospel. In verse 19, "...but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition." So Timothy was with him. Now, in, in the book of Colossians, we know that Luke was also with Paul. He mentions Luke. And, and we know from the book of Acts that Luke spent a lot of time at Philippi. When Paul left Philippi to go to Thessalonica, Luke stayed behind. And, and Paul didn't pick up Luke again until his third journey when he was back in Philippi. But now Luke is not there because he, he doesn't mention... In fact, later on he talks about only the ones that, that are with him. But Timothy is there. And so he's going to send Timothy to, Philipp, to the Philippians before too long. He says in verse 24, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare. I don't think he would have said that if Luke had been with him. <laughs> because Luke certainly would have fallen into that category. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Um, Timothy, of course, is a very different person. He's just like Paul. He cares about people. And then in verse 24, And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. So he fully expected to get to get to see them again, and we learn from uh, the epistles of Timothy and Titus that he did. He did get get back over there. His, his expectations were not fruitless. Um, and then um, jump down to chapter three, verse one. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again to you it is no trouble to be and it is a safeguard for you. Rejoice. Someone has observed that Paul talks more about rejoicing in this book than about any other book. And here he is in prison, <laughs> talking about how to rejoice. Then, um, this section, he has some warnings for them. And I don't know that, I don't think the Philippian church was especially troubled by false teachers. But Paul knows that these particular people he's talking about are going everywhere. And so he does need to warn about them. So beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. These are the people we have called Judaizing teachers. They go everywhere just trying to, to um, undo what Paul has done. Just tear it down. It, it grieves Paul a lot. And so he says in verse 4, although I I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more... He's still talking about these Judaizing teachers who are so proud about the fact that we're Abraham's children. We've been circumcised. So Paul then lists a number of things. He can match them one for one. Whatever they claim, he's got too. But look at what he says in um, in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. He doesn't care about them one bit because he's found Christ. And he wants the Philippians to have that same attitude. And in verse 9 he says, "...and may be found in him..." That's what he wants, to be found in him. "...not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith." But what, which epistle Paul deals the most with that doctrine? Romans, yes, yeah, and which one comes in a close second? Uh, I would say Galatians, yeah, Galatians would be close second on that. And and we think, at least I think, he wrote Galatians and Romans about the same time. Uh, Verse ten: that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Now, fellowship of His sufferings means, Paul says, I'm sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That's that's the same thing he was telling the the Philippians in chapter 1. It's been granted to you to suffer for Christ. Alright, down to verse 18 then. He's still talking about these people he's warning about. "...for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ." Whose end is destruction, whose God is what their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame? Who set their minds on earthly things? An awful lot of people who—that's that's their motivation—is just whatever feels good. And, and unfortunately, some of these people are claiming to be teachers of the gospel. They're false teachers, and Paul is warning them, the Philippians about those people. All right, then the last chapter, chapter 4, verse 3. Indeed, true companion, I urge you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The only reason I picked this verse out is to mention Clement. It's very likely that this Clement was the same person who wrote a letter later called First Clement, it's not in the Bible. Um, it's, one, it's one of the writings of the early Christians. Um, if you look Clement up in Wikipedia, you'll find him under Pope Clement <laughs> because the Catholics claim him as a Pope. I mean, he wasn't a Pope. I mean, he lived in the first century. They had no Popes in the first century. He died in eighty ninety nine. But he was indeed in Rome. He was an elder of the church in Rome and he wrote a letter from Rome to the Corinthian church after Paul had died, somewhere in the latter part of the 1st century, and we have that letter still, that letter is called 1st Clement. And Although 2nd Clement wasn't actually written by the same guy, but <laughs> that's another story. Um, in, that, in that letter, he talks about Paul. and And he talks about how Paul had gone to the extreme regions of the West. And in the 1st century... In Roman terminology, when you said the extreme regions of the West, you were talking about Spain. So it's very likely that Paul actually did go to Spain. Uh, Clement being, as it says here, one of Paul's fellow workers, would have known whether Paul did or not. That's not the only evidence we have. It's the earliest evidence we have. The later writers all, all say the same thing. There's two or three other writers that also say Paul did go to Spain. Um, but again, as a, that's the reason we put the question mark on the chart is because it's not something from the Bible. It's something we have to get from, from external sources. Um, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. <laughs> Paul can't get enough of this rejoicing thing. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, and of course, you know how that goes. He wants us to think on these things. Um, and then he, he, he finally comes to why he's writing the letter. Verse 10, "...but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity." Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. See, this is a thank you letter for their concern for Him. And in verse 13, He says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. They shared with Him in His affliction by giving of their money to help Him out. And in verse 17, He says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So, just a lovely book. Um, very personal. Yes. Uh, was Paul actually in, in rented quarters? Yeah. The, yes. In the support from the Philippians would have helped him with that. Right. Yeah. He, he had to, he had to pay his expenses. I'm sure he had to pay for his own food as well as, yeah. uh, as his living quarters um, all of that. Yeah. He would have needed money, and um, God provided money by means of the Philippians. Paul was. I was very thankful for that. Alright, um, this is a map of Paul's third journey. Now on his third journey, he did not go to Colossae. <laughs> We're going to do Colossians in the day. Uh, But it does, we have Colossae on the map here, and, that, and so that's why I showed it. Paul had, had actually not been to Colossae. He, he did not know these brethren that he's writing to. But he had occasion to be writing to them because there was a... a a former slave, actually he was still a slave, he'd run away, named Onesimus, who belonged to a member of the church in Colossae named Philemon. And so Paul sent the letter of Philemon in the hands of Onesimus. And at the same time, he sent the, book, uh, the, the letter of Colossians to them. And I, and I believe he also sent Ephesians. All three of those, I think, were written at the same time and probably sent by the same messenger. So <clears throat> it's... It's not not that far from Ephesus, but I don't think he... I mean, he, he tells them himself. He's never met them. Um, in the letter, he mentions both Laodicea and I believe he mentions Hierapolis, which you can see are just very near. Laodicea, we know from the book of Revelation, is one of the seven churches of Asia, but uh, Colossae was just a little bit outside the ring that marked that, those seven churches. Alright, so... Um, Colossians follows an outline that's this, rather similar to the outline of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians and Colossians are very similar. Ephesians is a letter about the church. And Colossians is a letter about Christ. But who's the head of the church? Christ. Right, so there's a lot of similarity between the two. Yeah. So, the first section, greetings, thanksgiving, and prayer, I'll just pick a couple of verses. In verse 9, "...for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, he heard of their love in the Spirit, that is. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with what? Spiritual wisdom. Yeah, the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowledge about God, that knowledge of God, that's just very key in Paul's prayers. Then the next section, starting in verse 15, is the supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones, or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. That's high. <laughs> that is just astonishing and I, imagine if you'd been one of the twelve that had walked with Jesus and eaten with him and he'd washed your feet and all those things and then later on you'd you'd learn this about the man that you've been with that everything you see everything you ever will see everything you've ever heard about was all created by him <laughs> Just, just mind-blowing. Then, in verse 24, we, we, Paul talks about his labor for the church. And I'll, I'll pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself. But there were some problems in the church at Colossae. Um, Unlike the book of Ephesians, which doesn't seem to be written to address any kind of a problem, we talked last week about how that most likely was a circular letter intended for a number of congregations. Um, But... Colossians was definitely written just to the church at Colossae. And apparently they had some false teaching going on there. I don't know if there was one person who was doing the teaching or several because it's quite a hodgepodge the the kinds of things Paul is trying to deal with here. The the human regulations that were being imposed on them. He says in verse 8, "...see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception." according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete and He is the head over all rule and authority. All these man-made religions require adding something in addition to Christ. And apparently someone had come to them with a a Greek philosophy type thing. We saw when we did the book of 1 Corinthians that the Greeks were we pretty heavy into uh, Greek philosophy. And although on our map, Colossae is in what today is Turkey, back in those days it was still a Greek city. There were a lot of Greek cities on the western coast of what we call Turkey today. Um, and so they would have been quite open to this idea, that to, to philosophy. Just from their from the Gentile background, they would have been open to it. Um, In verse 16, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Where do all those things come from? Yeah, they came from the Jews. This is Old Testament stuff. So that's why I say it's a hodgepodge. We had philosophy, now we've got uh, apparently some Judaizing teaching going on. Things, he says, which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is telling us that the purpose of those things in the Old Testament was to bring us to Christ. It was to foreshadow Christ. So we shouldn't be observing those festivals now as if that's the way we get to God. We get to God by Christ, and those festivals are pointing to Christ. Um, right. now I'm going to jump forward to rules for holy living. Several of the, Paul's epistles follow a two-part outline. The first part, usually half the book, is doctrine, and the second part is practical applications based on the doctrine. Now, in this book, um, he kind of he was getting in some some practical stuff earlier on, although it was based on doctrine. But um, in verse three, in chapter three, he says, "Therefore," the the rest of it's going to be practical, based upon what he's taught them about Christ. So, um, for, yeah, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated, seated at the right hand of God. So in verse 5, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. <clears throat> or down to verse 12, so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then um, this section goes on to chapter 4. I'll just mention verses 18 and 19 talking about husbands and wives, and then children and parents come in. Very similar to what we had in the Book of Ephesians, but done much more briefly. Um, there, you, you know, you can, if you put Ephesians and Colossians side by side, you can kind of follow through. They both follow the same outline, but Ephesians has six chapters and Colossians just four. Um, so, chapter four, verse two: Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of what? Thanksgiving. Yeah. And in verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Who does he talk about there? Yeah, non-Christians. Making the most of the opportunity. And then we have final readings starting in chapter 4, verse 7. And I'll start in verse 9 here. Um, With him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. As I said, Onesimus was a slave going back to Philemon. And we'll read about him next week when we do the book of Philemon. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin Mark about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Mark, now that's an interesting one. <laughs> you remember if Paul had a disagreement with somebody over Mark, what was the disagreement about? He didn't want to take him on his second journey, because what had Mark done on the first journey? Yeah, he'd quit partway through. So who did take him? Barnabas. Barnabas. Yeah, now we found out that he's he's a cousin of, of Barnabas. So um, apparently Mark has proven himself, and and Paul does not have any more complaints. He's he's there, in fact, with Paul uh, in Rome, and then. Verse fourteen: Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. So, Luke was with Paul at this time, but a little bit later, when he wrote the book of Philippians, apparently he was not there. And Demas, unfortunately, didn't end up as good as he was here. We'll see that when we get to Paul's last letter, Second Timothy. All right. Any questions on Colossians? All right. Now back to our timeline. We're going to jump all the way back 10 years to when he wrote First Thessalonians. This was on Paul's second journey. Uh, Paul Paul started the church at Philippi, and then he got beaten and put in prison when he cast the demon out of that girl, and so he left the next day. And he went. The next city he went to was. Thessalonica. And he preached there in the synagogue and the Jews just they instituted a very strong persecution against him. He had to leave town in a hurry. He went to Berea where the Jews were more noble. They were searching the Scriptures. However, it didn't take very long before the Jews in Thessalonica sent sent messengers to Berea to kick him out there too. So this time they sent him a long way, all the way to Athens. And he's going to mention Athens in this book. But that's not where he's writing this from. From Athens, he went to Corinth where he stayed a year and a half. And it was not too long after he got to Corinth that he wrote this letter of 1 Thessalonians. So we have our outline. We'll start with greeting and um, thanksgiving. Verse 3. This is part of his thanksgiving. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. They have not been Christians very long. I mean, They've just been Christians for a few months. But he's very happy with their progress. They're doing great. And he's thankful for it. In verse 8, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also, in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. so I mean they're really making a splash. they're taking their Christianity seriously and 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 it's everyone's hearing about it now the our author has it as Paul's defense of his actions and his absence. I, I don't think anyone was attacking this but but I guess you could say he was kind of defending it uh, when he he writes these things. Um, He says in verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. And then down to verse 5, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. I think he's trying to get them prepared for the false teachers that he knows are going to come. And he wants to show the kind of character you have to expect from a true teacher. And if someone comes buttering them up, as we say, flattering them, that, that, that ought to be a red flag right there. And Paul didn't do that. Not that he went and insulted them or anything, but he, he just he was dealing with them honestly. Verse nine. Here's another thing he did. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship. How working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. What other church do we know of that where Paul specifically mentioned that he hadn't taken any money from them? Uh-huh. Corinth. Yes. And um, you may remember also when he when he gave his last speech to the Ephesian elders, he told them the same thing that. He says these hands minister to the needs of myself and all the, and the guys working with me. I mean, he was supporting an entire preaching team with his own secular work, doing what tent, tent making, <clears throat> so that he would not be a burden, financial burden, to the church that had, that owed their very souls to his work. <laughs> and he did the same thing with the Thessalonians. He's telling them, you know, you, you know, we were working night and day, so that we wouldn't be a burden on you. What an example. Boy, you know, try to, try to follow His act. <laughs> wow. Alright, verse 13. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And then down to verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. And from the time Paul left, he really wanted to go back there. I mean, it hadn't been his choice to leave. He got run out of town. And he, and he just feels bad. I mean, these are brand new Christians. They need help. So in chapter 3, verse 1, he says Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Let me mention just as an aside, and this is a good place to see it: when Paul, in his epistles, says "we," it's important you don't think of well, Paul and a bunch of other guys sitting around saying this. He he uses it. He uses the term "we" kind of like the queen talks about. You know, we did this. We did that. The royal we—it's just him, because I mean he says um, we thought it'd be best to let to be left alone. <laughs> we are alone, yeah, just Paul. That's the we. <laughs> um. All right, verse six. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, see, he, he's now in Corinth, and Timothy has been up there to visit the Thessalonians. He's come back, and, and Paul and Paul's writing to them and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. So now he exhorts them about their personal lives. Chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Set apart. Set apart. Um, the word saint is, is related to the word sanctify. The word holy in the Greek is, is very closely related to the word saint and, and the, the word sanctify. Um, so, sanctification means it's to be set apart. How can we be set apart? By our behavior. By our behavior, exactly right. Yeah by living lives that are different from the world. So um, so this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now we live in a society that is becoming more and more like the, the Gentile society of that Greek world. And... All of us know. Well, you don't have to look very far in our society to see people living in lustful passion. So if we are set apart from these people, we don't live like that. Sex is not what drives us as it does so many people around us. Verse 9, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. There's always room for more when it comes to love, isn't there? (laughs) Alright, and then he has some exhortations about the coming of Jesus. And we have to understand, these people have not been Christians very long. And... They do not understand some things that, that we kind of take for granted. Of course, the reason we take for granted is we have the book of 1 Thessalonians. <laughs> so Paul's going to write in verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. What does he mean by asleep? Those are Christians who died. Yeah, these are Christians that have died. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the person that started this idea of calling someone asleep when they're really dead? Well, Jesus. Jesus did, yeah. You remember when He went in to raise that 12-year-old girl from the dead? He says, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they just laughed at Him. Well, that's, that's why we call it sleep. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. I, I get the impression, reading between the lines, that some of the Christians, if that's I like, thought that you know, their brethren who had died had missed out on, on the most exciting event to come. They were expecting Jesus to come, as we are. Although we'll find out at the Second Thessalonians, they they thought it was going to be really, really soon. And now you've got some Christians that have died. What a shame. You know, they, they were so close and they didn't make it. And Paul says, No, no, no. <laughs> when the Lord comes again, he's going to bring them with him. <laughs> All right. Um, and then chapter 5, verse 1. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When's it going to come? You don't know. It's like a thief in the night. But he picks up on that night thing in verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. (laughs) We're walking in the light. So in verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. So All, all of this is pointing back to the idea that the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. So, number one, you're not in darkness, you're in the light. Number two, don't sleep. Be alert waiting for Him to come back. And then he has some exhortations about church life. Um, in verse 12... Uh, "...but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instructions." He wants them to hold them in high regard because they're they're doing service for them. Uh, And then in verse 16, "...rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus." And then we have the concluding prayer, greetings, and benediction. I'll pick out verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Any questions on 1 Thessalonians? All right. next week we're going to set a record. We're going to do more books than... We've ever done in one week. <laughs> Second Thessalonians all the way through Philemon. <laughs> Appreciate everyone's help this morning. <clears throat> small books. through small books and then